You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. Let me, let me start with this question for you. How many of you remember junior high and high school? Okay, all of the youth are like, uh, we're living it right now, Pastor Kai. Of course we know what's going on. Um, and I understand that, that for the youth in junior high in the room right now, um, it, it's, it's really fresh in your minds. But for us old people, um, we have to work a little bit harder to remember that far back, okay? Um, but I'm guessing that even for us old people, um, it's not that hard to remember our, our junior high and high school days um, because those are such formative years. And so they kind of stick with us and, and are embedded in our minds uh, a little bit more. Um, and, and they're considered formative because of a lot of what you experience during those years really do form you. And they, they shape you into the person that you'll become in your adult years. Um, as a teenager, you're asking questions like, who am I? I know people even as adults still ask that question, but it's, it's very much so as teenagers. Um, you're asking like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, and you're experimenting socially. You're hanging out with different groups of people, seeing uh, who you get along with the best and who you eventually stick with influences your personal development over time. Um, and, and when I was a, a teenager, uh, we had very distinct groups of people that were all different from one another, right? Cliques and different social groups. Maybe you had that in your, your school too. Um, for us, we had the, the jock type people. Um, we had the, the, the people that we called preppy people who were always trying to keep up with the latest culture and fads, you know. Um, we, we had the, the goths who would wear dark clothing and even like paint their nails black and they'd listen to a lot of heavy metal or, or emo music. And sometimes they would cross over and hang out with the skater punk kids, right? Um, growing up in Texas, growing up in Texas, we also had the country people who would wear blue jeans and boots and cowboy hats, right? Uh, we had the academic nerdy types who really wanted to do well in school so they could get to Harvard and Yale and all of that, that fun stuff. Um, and then we had my people, the music people, the, uh, the band nerds, okay? Those were my people. Uh, and all of my closest friends were, were fellow band nerds. We would hang out during school and after school. We were in the band hall as often as we could be, just hanging out, doing homework or, or whatever. My band directors were really cool and good people. And so I remember hanging out with them and just sitting in their office, talking about life and asking questions. Um, and much of my formation as a teenager happened around band. Um, that's the group of people that I fit in with the most. And that partly influenced who I am today as an adult. Uh, some of my leadership qualities that I, I possess and, and use today, they were instilled in me because of, of band. Um, my interpersonal skills and ability to work well on a team really grew while I was in band. I learned discipline and attention to details from band. Uh, a lot of, of the qualities and character traits that I have today, I can, I can trace back to my teenage years as an awesome band nerd. Um, what about you? 
Okay, when, when you look back on those formative years, can you identify the groups of people that helped shape you? Uh, can you look back on specific moments uh, in your teenage years and see which ones influenced your adult years? Even if, um, even if you regret your teenage years or your years as a teenager were not that awesome, I'm sure you can still see the impact that they had on you uh, today as an adult, right? Um, we are very aware from personal experience that who we hang out with and how we spend our time and energy has formative effects on us, don't we? And we should carry that same kind of awareness into our spiritual lives too. Because did you know that your spiritual formation is also influenced by the people you hang out with and the ways you spend your time and your energy? It's true. And so last week, I shared with you our, our spiritual emphasis for 2024, which is behold. Everybody say that with me, behold, okay? Um, and we're asking two primary questions all this year. What am I beholding? And number two is what am I becoming? Because what we see in scripture and what we know from personal experience is that beholding leads to becoming, uh, Paul says in, in our, our theme verse for the year, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's our King Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right, what Paul is saying is that when we behold Jesus, when we reflect on him intentionally and contemplate him deeply, we become like him. That's, in, that's incredible whenever you really think about it, right? But the opposite is also true. When we behold the world, we become like the world. Um, but I think we can all agree that the world doesn't need more of itself right now, Right? Right? If we're honest, things aren't great, and things are not getting better, and won't get better. And so, so if we continue to replicate the world, and so the answer isn't a world full of people who look like the world. What we need is more Jesus. And that's not a, a catchy phrase or, or a cliche thing to say. It's, it's truth. We need more Jesus. What we need is more people who look and act and talk like Jesus, and he is the perfect example of what it means to be the humans that God created and intended the world to be filled with. And so we're asking, what am I beholding? And what am I becoming? Which should help us stay on track to become more like Jesus this year. Because if we don't see more and more of Jesus when we look in the spiritual mirror, then we know we need to do a better job of beholding more of him in our everyday lives. And so is the year of behold at CCA Church Family, if you missed it last week. And, and this past week, we had our, our fresh start fast, where that's what we devoted our, our fast to, is beholding God. Uh, many of us abstained from food. We fasted from food or abstained from other things um, so that we could be filled up with whatever God desires for us. And our hope is that as we behold him, we'll, we'll become more like him. Um, and we have more WWJD bracelets up here. If you weren't here last week and you want one, we're using these to help us remind us to behold Jesus throughout the year. We also have some stickers in the back. You can put a water bottle or whatever you want, all right? Um, so, so behold, okay? And, and if we know that who we hung out with 
And how we spent our time and energy as teenagers influenced our becoming adults. Um, that same principle carries over into our becoming like Jesus as mature followers of him. And so we're going to hang out with Jesus this year. We're going to spend a lot of time around Jesus so that we can become more like him. And, and we're going to spend our time and energy on Sundays this year um, beholding, reflecting on, contemplating Jesus. And we're going to do that uh, by going through one of the most thorough retellings of Jesus's life, which we find in the book of Luke in the, uh, the New Testament. And so today we begin what will be, I'm guessing, at least a year-long series called Jesus, uh, Jesus for Everyone. Jesus for Everyone. One of the, the key attributes of Luke's gospel that we'll see is how he portrays Jesus' encounters with all kinds of people. Uh, the religious and the non-religious, um, the so-called righteous and the sinners, the rich and the poor, the healthy and the unhealthy, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, right? Uh, outcasts and those who belong to the in crowd. Jesus is for everyone. And we're gonna see that all throughout Luke this year. Um, but we're also going to use Luke to take a deep dive look at the life and person of Jesus with the hope that we will behold him Right? We will become like him for God's glory, for our own, own good, but also for the good of those around us. All right? And so this is Jesus for Everyone, and the title of today's message is A Look at Luke. A Look at Luke. All right? Um, let's pray one more time before we continue uh, and, and jump into the scripture. Lord God, we are so grateful for you. We praise you, God, because you are worthy to be praised. We behold you, King Jesus, because you are worthy to behold. And we ask, Lord, that as we continue with our gathering this morning, as we see your word, as we look at this person, Luke, um, you'd give us something that we need to behold you better. God, our desire is to become the people you want us to be. Lord, because your desires for us are good, your desires for us are best. And so we submit this time to you and say, would you move in and through us today? Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so go ahead, open up your Bible to uh, Luke chapter 1. Uh, every single Sunday, you're going to want to bring your Bible, your physical Bible, your digital Bible, whatever you have. Um, but we're going to honor the Word of God every single Sunday um, by going there, looking at it ourselves. Um, and so let's go to Luke chapter 1. We're only going to read four verses today. That's it. Um, and so when you get there, say, Behold. All right, there's about 75% of you. Let's wait a little bit longer. When you get there, say, behold. All right, I think that filled it in. Okay. So, so here is Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I'm reading from the, the English Standard Version. And it says this. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, this is Luke talking, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. All right, four verses. Um, now, we actually started studying Luke back last year, 
in, in December during our Christmas mini-series called Christmas for Everyone, and that really was a soft launch for our new series, Jesus for Everyone, um, but, uh, and we actually went through all of, all of chapter one already, uh, but we skipped the first four verses, which are known as the prologue, okay? Um, Luke's gospel is the only one of the four that has a formal prologue like this. Um, the other three just jump right in. Uh, but Luke takes time to write an introduction and his reason for writing. And I think this is re a really smart move uh, by Luke because unlike uh, the author of, of the Gospel of Matthew and the author of the, the Gospel of John, Luke is not one of the original 12 apostles who Jesus lived with and walked with um, while he was on earth. As far as we know, Luke never actually even met or saw Jesus in his lifetime. And so he's, he's not even an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. And he confirms this in verse two, saying that everything he's written down, he's received as testimony from other people who did see and walk with Jesus. And, and yet what I find fascinating is that he has a writing attributed to him as the author that is the longest and most thorough account of Jesus's life that we have. Anybody else find that interesting? Now, if you're reading critically, um, and we should always read our Bibles critically, uh, then two questions should immediately pop into our brain. Number one is this, how can we trust this gospel? How can we trust this Luke? I mean, if you know a Luke in your life, then you're like, how do, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, Luke. I think that's the last Luke joke I'll have for the rest of the time, okay? Um, right? Luke, he never met or saw Jesus, so how can we trust him? All right, and this is an important question to ask because if we're using Luke to help us behold Jesus this year so we can become like him, right, then this better be an accurate account of Jesus, right? That's a good question. As single people, think about it this way. Um, imagine connecting with somebody on a, on a dating app or being set up by a friend on a blind date with somebody, okay? Um, and they tell you everything that they know about this person, right? What they look like, their interests, their values. Um, but when you actually go on the blind date and actually meet them face to face, they're nothing like what your friend described them as. All right, who's ever actually been through that? Don't be shy. It's okay. No judgment. All right. That's okay. Um, but there's a term for this, isn't there? It's called catfishing, right? It's called catfishing. You'd be really upset if you were catfished. Well, how devastated would we be after beholding Jesus as he's described in Luke's gospel, only to get to heaven and find out that Jesus is nothing like what Luke described him as? Are we being catfished by Luke right now? Okay, this is a really important question. Well, thankfully... Luke gives an explanation in these four verses. In verse three, he says, I've followed these things closely for some time now. Okay, Luke plays the investigative journalist who's done really thorough research. Um, from verse one, we can tell that he's already read some of the other writings that were already circulating about Jesus during this time. Uh, one of those writings he probably read is Mark's gospel because we know Mark wrote first and there are entire passages word for word from Mark that Luke and Matthew also have. 
Um, and so uh, that's probably one of the writings he heard. Um, in verse two, though, we see he's already received testimony from others about Jesus also. Okay, some of them being eyewitnesses. But listen, he doesn't just go off of what he's read or heard to write this gospel. Um, he says he's followed things closely for some time now. Uh, and not like we follow people on social media, right? Uh, or your favorite celebrity or sports team or anything like that. Um, not like how you, you follow a news story by reading a bunch of different uh, sources. No, he's saying um, he's gone and done the research himself. He's traveled. He's gone to, to specific people mentioned even in Mark's gospel, and he's asked them questions and, and interviewed them. Um, he's gone to the places where Jesus performed miracles. He's talked to the people who, who Jesus healed and, and maybe even delivered from demon possession. The things he's read and heard about, he's gone and checked out for himself. Okay, which this is what we would expect of any reporter these days, right? A news reporter who sits in the office all day just getting their news from other news sources isn't a reporter at all, right? Um, but the one who is out on the field, going on location, um, talking to eyewitnesses, digging deeper into the story, those are the ones that we tend to trust more. And Luke is saying, I'm that guy. I'm that guy, right? I've read, I've heard, I've gone and followed up on these stories closely and personally, and so we can trust this account of Jesus is accurate. Uh, um, this is further backed up by the, the book of Acts, uh, which Luke is also attributed as the author. Um, and in Acts, um, you'll notice that there's a, a point during Paul's journeys when the narration changes from third person, right? Paul did this, Paul did that, they did that. And it switches to first person, okay, where the author, Luke, is saying, we meaning that he, along with Paul and their companions, were together doing everything that's written in these we passages. And so what Luke is saying is that I was right there in the middle of all the action during Paul's ministry, writing everything down as, as we went. And so we can trust that he would have spent that same amount of time and energy to get Jesus' story straight too. Now here's another reason we can trust Luke. It's because he's trusted by other people that we tend to trust, okay? Um, we know that Luke was a close companion of the apostle Paul. Uh, we can see that in Acts. Uh, but also, um, Paul lists Luke as one of his coworkers in ministry in Philemon, verse 24. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, which was written while Paul was in prison in Rome, Paul says that Luke is the only close friend that he has with them at that time. Uh, and in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul refers to Luke as the beloved physician. And so Paul uh, loved and trusted Luke as a friend and fellow co-laborer in Christ. And Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. Uh, physicians during that time were highly, highly educated. They had to know how to read and write, which wasn't always common during that time. They had to follow thorough methods of medicine, uh, which required patience and skill. Uh, they were entrusted with helping figure out what was wrong with people and to hopefully cure all of their ailments. And so we have to understand Luke isn't just some guy off the street writing about Jesus. He's well-educated and qualified. 
Um, and, and we can see that in his writing. We will see that in, in Luke. He has lots of medical terminology um, that other writings in the New Testament don't have. Um, he, he probably had good bedside manner as a doctor too. Um, because do you think Elizabeth and Mary would share their intimate details about their pregnancy with just anybody? No, right? But if, if they were a, a good doctor with good bedside manner, then they would probably say, yeah, this is what happened. I mean, ladies, if you, if you went through pregnancy, you told your doctors everything, things your husband doesn't even know about you, right? And so Luke, he's also very thorough. He writes on specific details that other gospel writers don't catch on to. His style of writing in ancient Greek is eloquent yet accessible. And so um, if you were to hire someone to research and write out an ordered and accurate account of Jesus's life, you would absolutely want someone like Luke to do it, right? He's the guy for the job, 100%. Um, and you could trust that Luke wasn't uh, catfishing you or setting you up for major disappointment. He's qualified and experienced to handle the job. Um, what's also interesting is that based on the, the end of verse three, where, where Luke addresses the most excellent Theophilus, uh, it's possible that Luke was hired to write out both the Gospel of Luke and uh, the book of Acts. Uh, Theophilus is addressed here at the beginning of Luke, and then again at the beginning of Acts. And we know from other ancient texts that sometimes wealthy people would hire or commission someone uh, to, to write out and research documents about all kinds of different topics. And so it's very possible that Theophilus was one of those wealthy people and possibly even a Roman government official. Because people of status, they were often referred to with these kind of uh, reverent prefixes, like the, the most excellent. Uh, in the book of Acts, when Paul is talking to the Roman official Festus, Paul calls him the most excellent Festus. And so if Luke was hired or commissioned by Theophilus, then, then Theophilus, who has this monetary investment and possible uh, political power, he wouldn't settle for anything but a thorough, ordered, and accurate account of what they were, were wanting to know about from a qualified and respectable reporter. Does all of that make sense? And so all of this to say uh, that the gospel of Luke can be trusted. We know more about Luke and his background than some of the other gospel writers. Um, it, it, He's, he's qualified. Um, we can read it and use it to know and behold our King Jesus and to become like him. All right, so that's the first question we could ask. Uh, we should ask, how can we trust this gospel from someone who never even met or saw Jesus in his lifetime? Um, well, I think we, or Luke, by his own words and reputation, we've answered that question. But the second question we need to ask is this. Why was someone who never met or saw Jesus devote so much time and energy and possibly even resources to write this gospel? Well, uh, Luke isn't just some unbiased reporter getting paid for a job. Okay, we all know there's no such thing as an unbiased reporter, right? right? Uh, they seem to get more biased every single year. Uh, and listen, all accounts of history are also biased, okay? Um, and Luke is biased as well because he's a devoted follower of Jesus. Yeah. He loves Jesus. 
He's been transformed by Jesus. And he wants to see Jesus magnified and lifted high for all to see him as he really is, as the king and savior of the world, the one, only one son of God. And, and we know he's a follower of Jesus because if you look back in verse one, when he talks about all that has been accomplished, meaning um, accomplished in spreading the gospel of Jesus and growing the kingdom of God, he includes himself as part of those accomplishments. He says, of the things that have been accomplished among us. And so he's not just a bystander. He, he's in the middle of it all. Like I mentioned earlier, Paul refers to Luke as a co-worker in ministry. He's just as much a missionary as Paul is. Um, Luke has been impacted and transformed by the gospel of Jesus so much, listen, that he seems to have left his reputable career as a doctor to work with other believers like Paul to evangelize and spread the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth, right? We would think people in our modern day who do something like that as admirable and, and trustworthy, right? And, and who would do that unless they too were genuine believers and faithful followers of Jesus? And so Luke, he writes this letter first and foremost out of duty to his king, Jesus. Out of duty he loves Jesus, and he wants others like Theophilus to know him too. And so he's also read some other writings about his king, and it is possible that many of those early writings were inaccurate, or they portrayed false things about Jesus. And think about it. If someone wrote something that was wrong about someone you love very much, what would you do if you heard about it? Okay, you'd come to their defense You'd speak out and speak up and say what you know to be true. And you'd be furious and, and you'd see it as an injustice knowing that someone was writing and saying incorrect things about the person that you loved, right? Yeah. And so Luke is out of duty to his king, but also in defense of his king, whom he loves very much. He's just not comfortable knowing that there might be false accounts and accusations about his Jesus spreading around. And so... He uses his skills and gifts that God has given him out of duty in defense of Jesus. Um, and finally, Luke writes to disciple others, to disciple others, right? We know from verse four that the most excellent Theophilus, I think I want to bring those kind of terms back. Matt, can you just start calling me the most excellent? I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, but we know, we know from verse 4 that the most excellent Theophilus has at least been taught about this Jesus, right? Uh, that he truly is the Son of God, sent by God to seek and save the lost, that when we put our trust in him, we receive that salvation for ourselves, and Jesus is worthy to follow his king. Right? He's, he's been told these things. And so Luke says, I write, though, that, that you may have certainty about these things that you've been taught. And so Theophilus has at least been taught and might be on the verge of making a decision to finally and fully follow Jesus. But he might already be a follower of Jesus, right? Which his name, you can kind of learn something about him from his name as well. A Theophilus is a Greek name, meaning lover of God, lover of God. And having been taught some things about the Son of God, Luke writes and teaches more thoroughly so that Theophilus can fall even more in love with God. 
Um, but some scholars and theologians, they've suggested that maybe Theophilus isn't even a real person at all. And that this is a, a literary device used by Luke to address a more broader audience, namely anyone who would call themselves a lover of God. Right? And so if, if you're a lover of God, then this would be for you as well. And that all of the reasons for why Luke would write this letter aren't just for the edification of one person, but for any and all who would say, I'm a lover of God. Right, which is why we can read this gospel uh, to lovers of God in the 21st century and find it relevant and uplifting in our own lives. Um, we can learn from it. We can receive discipleship from it. We can learn to behold Jesus through it with the hopes of becoming like him. Um, but whether uh, Luke wrote to just one person or to many, his reasons for writing are still fulfilled. Okay, he writes out of duty to his King Jesus, in defense of his King, and in discipleship to his followers. And I think, and, I, and I'll close with this. I told you it's a shorter message for today. Um, I, I'll close with this. I think for us, in, in our modern day context, Luke is a really great example for us to follow of what it looks like to behold and become like Jesus. Why is that? Because like Luke, you and I have never met or seen Jesus the way the apostles or the disciples who walked with Jesus did, right? Luke got all of his information about Jesus from other sources and through his own research, and we're in the exact same boat today, aren't we? And many people might think, man, what a disadvantage we have. If I had seen Jesus face to face, and beheld Jesus the way the apostles did and the early disciples did, man, of course, I'd be way more on fire for Jesus. But what about Luke? What about Luke? Luke never met or saw Jesus face to face. He can only behold Jesus through the stories he heard and the research that he did on his own. And listen, Luke also didn't have a Jewish religious background like the other apostles and disciples did, like the other gospel writers did. In Colossians, Paul refers to Luke as a Gentile, meaning a non-Jewish person. Um, so, so he would have had no to very little understanding of Judaism and a, a coming Messiah. And yet, his beholding of Jesus in this way led him to, to leave his career as a doctor to follow closely and trace out all of the events and counts of Jesus, to join Paul on his missionary journeys, not as a simple observer, but as a fellow laborer in Christ. And some of the, the we sections and acts, which Luke would have been a part of, they're crazy, right? There's persecution and suffering, which Luke would have encountered along with Paul. And he did all of this, having never met or seen Jesus face-to-face. It is clear that he beheld Jesus in some way. He beheld Jesus much in the same way that we do today, and he was transformed into, into him, into his likeness, from one degree of glory to another. Right. He, he lived his life in duty to and in defense of his king. He devoted a considerable amount of time to write this gospel in order to disciple others so they too can behold Jesus and become like him. If we look at Luke's life, it's true that beholding leads to becoming. Can we agree with that? Yeah. Right? Let me ask you, 
What are you beholding and what are you becoming? Like Luke, is your beholding Jesus transforming you? Is it transforming you? Okay, is your beholding Jesus compelling you to live out of duty and defense of your king and in discipleship to others? Or let me ask it this way. What could Jesus do? What could Jesus do with you as you behold him? What transformation could take place in your life as you behold your king? What could you do in duty and defense of your king as you behold him? Who could you disciple as you behold Jesus and, and show them how to behold him too? Okay, Luke is a great example for us of what could happen when we behold Jesus, even though we've never seen him or met him face to face. And if God did it in Luke's life, right, he can absolutely do it in our lives too. Do you believe that? And so church family, Stephanie, you can come on up. What are you beholding and what are you becoming? Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you. Thank you.